0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, September 2nd, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. Are we seeing a mass exodus from public schools? At the very least, the ranks of homeschoolers and pandemic pod people have swelled as school districts have faced difficulties returning to in-person classes. Cato adjunct scholar Jason Bedrick discusses how parents, districts, teachers, and their unions have chosen to respond to the pandemic.
1: We should definitely have a lot of sympathy for anybody who is running a school or a school district in these trying times. It's very hard to know what the right thing is to do and uh, you know, practically impossible to please everybody. If you're gonna be closed, obviously a lot of parents are gonna be very, very upset. But uh, even if you open up, depending on what sort of measures you put in place, uh, some parents or other parents are, are going to be upset. Um, but in the midst of all this, this chaos, uh, the teachers unions are making matters actually much worse. Um, you know, In some cases they're striking for safety alone and that's one thing. And uh, you know, I, again, I'm sympathetic when teachers are saying, look, we, if we're gonna come back into school, we wanna make sure that this environment is safe for us to teach and safe for our students to, to be in uh, and safe also for the caregivers uh, that the students have back home. Uh, But in many cases, their list of demands include political items that have absolutely nothing to do with safety. Uh, So for example, the the United Teachers uh, Union in Los Angeles, uh, which is the largest district in the nation, said that they won't agree to go back to school until policymakers pass a new wealth tax, uh, a new income tax on millionaires, uh, until they defund the police, until they enact Medicare for all. Uh, And they've also demanded a new moratorium on uh, charter schools. Uh, So these items clearly have nothing to do with the safety of their students and everything to do with politics. Uh, The Wall Street Journal said that they're holding kids hostage uh, for political purposes.
0: A lot of school systems uh, have had difficulty launching Their school years for some of the reasons that you mentioned, but also just by virtue of the fact that they have kicked the can down the road and said, we're going to be online until this date. And then they decide later, okay, we're going to be online until this date. Um, How much of that is driven by concerns of safety? Well some of it's
1: driven by concerns of safety some of it's uh, d- driven by um what the unions are doing making it impossible to reopen uh Florida for example uh they the governor has ordered schools to reopen the teachers union has filed a lawsuit uh and as of this recording uh, the trial court judge has declared that uh, the unions are in the right and has uh, banned the schools from reopening from, well, I should say, uh, um, prevented the governor's order from going into effect. And so in most cases, the schools are not reopening. Uh, and this this uh, certainly varies from state to state and even within states from district to district. Uh, so there's, there's certainly a lot of chaos. And in, in the midst of all this, a lot of parents are are getting frustrated, throwing up their hands and saying, you know, that's it, we're out. We're going to figure out how to make this work
0: on our own. To the extent that that is the choice that uh, some parents are making, do we have any idea what the magnitude of that departure from uh, public schools is? We don't yet. Uh, First of all,
1: not every state has reopened. Uh, You're not really going to know until after they do their official counts and report them. So in some cases, that's going to be months away. Uh, But I can say, uh, you know, in some states, they're already reporting three to 5% drop in Florida. Um, And in Arizona, the largest school district, Mesa uh, Unified, uh, had a 10% decline in elementary school enrollment uh, and a 17% drop in kindergarten enrollment. Uh, at the same time in Arizona, the, the number of new applicants for the education savings account, uh, which is uh, a, an educational choice policy in Arizona, uh, has tripled over last year. Uh, we also see that uh, a micro school chain in Arizona, which is called um, Prenda Microschools, Schools, uh, they had about a thousand students participating at the beginning of the year. Uh, As of about a week or so ago, they had 3,500 students, Uh, and a a survey of private schools said that uh, about half are experiencing increased enrollment. We don't have the magnitude there, um, but almost all of the rest said that they had flat enrollment, almost none saying that their enrollment had declined. So uh,
0: it seems that parents are moving into private options. You mentioned the day that schools calculate enrollment. What is the importance of it? remember before we started recording, you called it count day. What is count day?
1: Count day means money. Count day is the day that uh, the districts uh, count all the students that are enrolled in their schools and and showing up and uh, they get paid in the following year and sometimes years to come based on their student enrollment. Uh, and so they are doing their best to make sure that as many students are present and counted for in, in those districts. And we've actually seen some shenanigans related to this. So, for example, uh, in Montgomery County, Maryland, uh, we had officials say that private schools were not allowed to open Uh, Because the public schools were not opening, they were going to be uh, doing distance learning, and they didn't want parents fleeing to those private options, so they shut down the private schools. And the way we know that is actually because uh, your current colleague, my former colleague, Walter Olson of the Cato Institute, uh, noticed that the day they allowed private schools to reopen... Uh, was the day after count day? There was no medical reason. It wasn't that we had anticipated that COVID nineteen numbers would be down below a certain level by that point. Uh, it, it seemed uh, very uh, clearly that they were trying to keep the kids out of those private schools at least until
0: uh, after count day. What's the magnitude of parents uh, adopting these so-called micro schools? Uh, some they're either co-ops or they just hire a teacher and uh, send their kids? What is, what's the magnitude of that? So again, we don't have uh, numbers yet, but uh, depending
1: on which survey you believe, um, there were national and state polls that show anywhere between 15 to 40% of families who said that they were likely to be educating their child at home, uh, either through homeschooling or through distance learning or some sort of um, microschooling or, or pandemic pod. Uh, and, and parents, look, parents were facing some very tough choices over the summer. Uh, my organization, EdChoice conducted its 2020 Schooling in America survey uh, and uh, asked what parents were concerned about. So for example, how concerned are you that your children are gonna be exposed to coronavirus? And seven in 10 said that they were worried that their kids were gonna be exposed to coronavirus if they went back to school. Uh, and You know, it only takes one kid in one of these large schools that that's exposed And all of a sudden you could have, um, you know, uh, a lot of kids catching coronavirus or giving it to their parents. Uh, On the other hand, they weren't particularly enthusiastic about bringing their kids back home and just doing distance learning by themselves. Uh, you had more than six and 10 that said that they were worried about their kids feeling socially isolated. Uh, parents themselves, a majority were uh, concerned about missing work or adjusting their schedule. And they were concerned about uh, their kids falling behind academically. Uh, more than six and 10 said that. And and for good reason. Uh, there was a study by uh, McKinsey and company that found that children this past spring, which were doing distance learning. And I should note, this was like this is not well thought out, planned distance learning. This is uh, you know, an emergency situation where you're just sort of thrown into it. Uh, but students who had access to the average level of remote learning were three to four months behind where they should be. And if they had lower quality remote learning, uh, they could be seven to 11 months behind. Uh, so parents were not particularly enthusiastic about sending their kids into these schools, but neither are they enthusiastic about keeping their kids home. That's where these micro schools come in, because you can have that in-person instruction that's higher quality. It allows the parents to go back to work and it allows their children to to socialize, at least with a small group of peers. But at the same time, the small size of these pods, where you're only dealing with about five to 15 uh, other children greatly reduces your risk of exposure to coronavirus and so this has emerged as uh, something that parents are really excited about there was a group that was formed in early july called microschools and pandemic pods on facebook now i believe it's just called pandemic pods main and has more than forty thousand members and uh it also spawned uh dozens of local chapters and uh, other Uh, imitators and other organizations. Uh, um, So parents are taking to social media to uh, learn about the pods that are available in their area to advertise that they're running a pod to share best practices. Uh, It's been a sort of Tocquevillian response where uh, the government has shown that it is uh, incapable in many cases of, of providing parents what they want. So parents are taking matters into their own hands.
0: It seems that, at least in my experience, that schools do not seem to be aware of the animosity that parents, uh, in many cases, have developed over frustration, I guess, it is more accurate, about the degree to which schools are planning reopenings or delaying those reopenings. Um, to, to what extent or how could schools better accommodate uh, micro-schooling? And, uh, the, the choices that parents are, are trying to make especially in the short run.
1: Yeah. So there, there've actually been some leaders in this regard, uh, in, uh, in, uh, North Las Vegas, for example, they opened up the Southern Nevada urban micro academy. And this is a, this is a city initiative, uh, that's running pods of up to 18 kids for $2 a day. Uh, and they're making that available to to families, So obviously highly subsidized. Uh, they're making that available to families. We've also seen in Dorchester, Massachusetts, uh, and some other places um, that uh, again, you have district schools that are organizing families to uh, run pods in conjunction with the district. Uh, using the district curriculum and access to a lot of district services, so there there are some more forward-thinking um, school districts out there that are embracing this. Um, but those that aren't, those that are just saying, "Hey, we're closed," and if you want, you can have uh, you know access to <laughs> some sort of learning online, but you got to otherwise figure out how to do this yourself. Uh, a lot of parents say, "No, that's just simply not enough," and they're starting to look elsewhere.
0: Jason Bedrick is Director of Policy at EdChoice and an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.